It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and I'm delighted to be back with you after a short break. Coming up on tonight's programme, I'll be talking to Ireland's food writing royalty, John and Sally McKenna, about their latest book, Milk, which explores the story of Ireland's culinary treasure through recipes, history and culture. Helen Cook from thiswindinglife.org returns after her first appearance last month when she talked about sleep and tonight following on from that she is going to address morning rituals. And then finally at the end of the programme we will be checking in with our weekly regular Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom who has some suggestions about who we should be following on Instagram for food inspiration. But before we hear from tonight's guests, let me tell you how to get in touch with me here at The Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing s.nonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation and I'm on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. So John and Sally McKenna are well known throughout Ireland and beyond for their food and travel writing and a few weeks ago I heard that they had published their latest book, which is all about milk. I spoke to the duo earlier today by Zoom to find out more. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. John and Sally, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for joining me via Zoom. I've received a copy of your fabulous new book, Milk. Who's going to tell me how this book came about? I, um, I mean... I've been fascinated by milk for decades, ever since I we wrote our first books and met farmers and cheesemakers. And then a couple of years ago, the phone rang and it was Kathy Curran from the National Dairy Council saying, would I like to give a speech at their Quality Milk Awards? And I thought, well, yes, I certainly would. Then I had to think, well, what do I actually want to say? And the more I thought about milk in that period, I came up with this idea that Ireland actually, in terms of its milk production, echoed the best French wines. In other words, we had small farms, we had green grass, we had clean water, we had fresh rain, and we had a sense of locality to the farms. In other words, the milk, for example, in West Cork, I think is pretty different to the milk from the from the East Coast. Even though our dairy industries now are quite large, there's still um, a fingerprint to Irish milk. So the more I looked into it, the more I, I thought, it was like fine wine. It was like a Grand Cru liquid because it had the sort of care and attention that makes really fine wines. And, and that was what I began to kind of talk about um, was the idea that, you know, we have this liquid that we take for granted. It's in everybody's fridge, in every house in the country. So we don't really think about it a lot. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it was actually worthy of thought and of consideration. And when lockdown came, we had then put in a proposal to the National Dairy Council. We said, you know, we'd actually like to take this a bit further. And when lockdown came, they got back and they said, yep, can you go with it? Can you get it out for autumn 2020? And of course, that was going to be a challenge because in order to get the right price on a book, you've really got to print in the Far East. So that requires a long lead in time. So we needed everybody to work quickly. And of course, um, 
with lockdown. For example, we rang Michael Toole, a photographer. <clears throat> we worked with, first of all, 25 years ago, in a book called Pizza Defined. And Mike said, I'm doing nothing because of lockdown. I'm in Kildare. And his wife, who was due to shoot, Anne-Marie Tobin, she was working on the Matt Damon movie in Dawkey, complete shutdown. So suddenly we found everybody we wanted to work with was actually available. So we realized we had to do the book quickly, but because everybody was available, we could do it quickly. And we actually did it um, from first page to last in five weeks. Oh, my Lord. Good project. If somebody had said to you last year, John and Sally, we want you to write a book in five weeks, you would have said lots of bad yeah. words, I think, to them and told them know, to cop on. It was because it was lockdown, I suppose, that there was absolutely nothing. The desk was cleared, the phone wasn't ringing, there was no nothing, no travelling, which is for us is always the thing. We're always on the road, one place, you know, here, there and everywhere. So we were at home and there was two extra bodies in the house to eat all the food that we were producing to <laughs> test the recipes because we had our son and daughter here. Um, so we, it was lockdown, so there was... Very, a lot of things were closed. There was no markets, no farmers markets. All the sort of traditional shopping zones that we had, you know, got used to, were suddenly gone. So I think that influenced, in a way, in a good way, influenced the book because we did want to do a book that was very accessible, that had recipes that everybody could make uh, using, a, you know, a prime Irish ingredient. So, um, and the same with Anne Marie um, when she was food styling. She had to get everything from Kildare, so uh, because it really was the beginning of lockdown. So we, the the sort of boom in internet trading hadn't even begun yet. So, um, so that that was an influence on the book, but it also allowed the book to come together because it meant that we could really practice with the wonderful um, ingredients that we have and test everything and make sure it worked. And then, of course, we contacted the chefs who contribute to the book and they were all doing nothing as well because they were all closed. So we got recipes within 24 hours of requesting them. Um, and it all came together. I mean, I think we asked Mike and Anne-Marie on the Thursday and I think on Monday, the first photographs were coming in. Yeah. So um, it was just a lucky time in a way. It was, you know, it, it meant that everybody was fully focused on the job in hand. And you mentioned the chefs there. You have a number of different recipes. I think it's around 60 recipes in the book from different chefs from all over Ireland and even beyond some very well-known names there like Donal Skehan and Mark Moriarty, Gronya Mullins, Caitlin Ruth. Like there's a lot of the Eurotalk chefs involved in it. Yes. Um, I mean, I think in, in some ways there are some people who are very well-known like Donal, like Clodagh McKenna. But on the other hand, we were really looking to bring on um, a new generation of chefs. I mean, as you say, Mark obviously is well known, but, you know, Gronje Mullins obviously is known through through the winning Eurotalk show chef. But, you know, people like Tony Davidson from Fisk, for example, who to me is one of the great cooks up in the Northwest. We were, we were keep, kind of keen to, um, you, know, you know, get recipes from them. They're, they're, they're not so well known. They're brilliant talents. So it was a chance also to kind of introduce new voices and we didn't just want it to be a John and Sally book, you know, because what we were trying to do was to tell the story of milk, which is the history and the culture, but also at the same time to capture a little bit of the contemporary culinary culture that's actually going on in Ireland. And, and sometimes that was really serendipitous. I mean, I mentioned Tony from this. And when we were there last year eating wonderful seafood, I happened to say to him, oh, my goodness, those fish goujons were amazing. And he just said, well, the secret actually is buttermilk. And I just thought, 
oh, wow, okay. So then when we were suddenly saying, who are we going to get recipes from and what can we do? And we thought, well, there's an example of somebody using a variety of milk in this un unlikely context to incredible ends. His fish goujon is like, I'd walk, I'd walk up to Downing's tomorrow if I was allowed uh, just to eat them. So it was a chance to try to say, look, here are con here's contemporary food, but also some of our old family recipes going yeah, way, yes. way back. Yes, we had a recipe like the, the cookie recipe for the ice cream sandwiches. I was looking for a light cookie recipe that would um, fold around ice cream. And I mean, honestly, we were just all drooling over this delicious experience of eating these, cook these cookies. They weren't intended as an ice cream cookie um, sandwich cookie, but they just worked. They were so crispy and light and lacy. Um, they, they did the job. And I was so excited to see our local bakery, um, Trish Messam from the Stuffed Olive, doing a riff on that and using the cookies to make a sort of a Snickers bar and things. So that's a lovely feeling, you know, when you when you put something together and you see other people cooking it and putting photographs of what they've cooked up on Instagram. And um, so it's lovely. So it's a mixture of mixture of classic recipes, which we we felt that, you know, really showcase dairy. And then these sort of funky recipes from the chefs. Um, we were very excited when Takashi Miyazaki sent in his recipe for vinegar milk, which we'd never heard of which is both a health food and a delicious sort of condiment that you can put into any sauce or soup or um, you can literally just drink it as well. It's very healthy for you. So it was a mixture of, you know, funky and classic, really. And one of the recipes that, that struck me that I was surprised to see milk in was bolognese. I've never put milk in bolognese no. before, but <clears throat> I definitely will try it now next time. Like, obviously, that's a staple Works. in this house with two small children. It actually is traditional. Oh. Um, if you look, for example, at Marcella Hazan's first book, uh, Classic Italian Cookery, uh, Marcella uses milk in, in her bolognese. I sometimes wonder if um, it may go back to days pre-refrigeration when meat would have been quite fresh and people were really looking for something to tenderize um, meat. And so the secret, of, the secret of a really fine bolognese is both milk and long, slow cooking, at least three hours. Um, so it was nice to kind of get those ideas. And one other thing we borrowed, for example, from overseas was the idea of, you know, cooking goat in milk, which is a kind of reference to the uh, Mexican cajeta. And, and actually, one of the things that, that um, propelled us to, to use that was the fact that, you know, with wonderful producers like Brock Gammon in Northern Ireland, you can get wonderful young kid meat, really tender, really good, and then you just simmer it in milk for, again, a long, 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 long time. Yeah, I had noticed you have goat in goat milk tacos because here in Newcastle West, just outside the town, we do have a goat farmer who was doing goat's cheese and has recently started to do goat's milk as well and would do some goat meat for burgers and whatnot, a bit like Brock Gammon and their Billy Burgers. So, I, you know, that's something I was actually going to say to you. It's not just about cow's milk. You have goat milk, a goat milk recipe here as well. Do And we have sheep's milk yogurt recipes in the beginning, you know, um, the, the Labneh pearls, which came from Jacinta of GMIT and also Jess Murphy um, of Kai. So, you know, obviously because milk is, is um, very, you know, it's lots of different things to different people. And goat is actually the most widely eaten meat in the world. But I suppose in Ireland, uh, the dairy culture is often around cows, so that's pre pre predominantly. But if you have local goat milk and local goat meat, I would definitely try that recipe. Yep. It really yep. is a wonderful recipe. <clears throat> yeah, so I think it's interesting that 
most people do associate milk with cows but you know it comes from a lot of other different animals and is widely available any lactating animal really um i mean one of the milks that we don't have and that has never been drunk in ireland is actually donkey milk um which is drunk in italy as a health restorative okay Uh, i've never heard of anybody else drinking milk from donkeys but apparently in italy uh, occasionally or in some regions they 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 actually do um, but, but that's the one thing. But otherwise, yes, I mean, this, this of course, is the, the contemporary um, discussion about what is a milk, because, of course, a lot of people are switching to non-dairy milks. They're not milks. Realistically, they are flavoured waters, rather like soft drinks. Um, we think we have the best milk in the world. And we think it's, you know, Ireland also, we are, as a nation, uniquely lactose tolerant. Uh, so milk is something we take for granted, but the quality of the milk we have is is just so so fine. And they, <clears throat> when we were doing the interviews with the farmers as well, now I know they're extraordinary farmers and they're the kind of guys who win the quality milk awards. But the, the care with which they talk, not only just about their herd, but their fields, you know, the, the, but when the grass is ready, when you move the cows on, the fact that their children give names to the the cows, it's it's a really lovely, almost romantic story, um, and it surrounds us in Ireland, which means we think we take it for granted. But I remember traveling through Germany several years ago and on the train and looking out and saying, "Well, where are the animals in the fields?" And they just weren't there because most cows, of course, sadly, are do not have access to pasture, and it's one of the things that Alan Kelly in particular points out. The access to pasture is what makes our milk special, because if you take a cow off pasture, they will produce milk, but the milk is actually no good. It's not healthful. Whereas Irish milk, because it comes from pasture fed animals, has this healthy matrix. That's why it is actually so good for you. That's why, you know, your parents and my parents would say, drink your milk, drink your milk. It's good for you. Give you healthy bones, healthy bones and healthy teeth. And they were absolutely right. As with so many of those other folk wisdom cliches they actually knew what they were talking about they didn't know the science but they understood the folk wisdom yeah the lush green fields the the quality of that grass that has an impact on the flavor which again i think a lot of people don't necessarily appreciate that that you know different brands of milk have different attributes they have a slightly different flavor whenever you you know you sit down and taste them all in one go and like to have a, a category for example in the lights of the Blossnair and the Irish Food Awards for milk some people would say well milk is milk but it's not there are you no, know it's like everything it's there's fascinating. yeah when you see them all laid out there in, in Bloss and taste the different ones and you realize but I think, in a way, the the that industry, the industry leading us there is the, the barista industry in coffee serving, because they notice, you know, if the, depending on where the milk is produced and how, how it's produced, there's a huge difference on the co- the coffee, the crema in the coffee. So that's one way in which we have started to notice our milk. But otherwise, I think we all need to wake up and say, look, we've got this fantastic ingredient and i don't think we're appreciating it i i I think sharon it will i think it is already beginning to change i mean i'm i'm thinking for example 25 or 30 years ago the the late great michael jackson the original beer hunter used to keep giving off because he'd say you know people would walk into a pub and they'd say i'll have a beer and he'd say what do you mean a beer you know there is no such actual thing as beer 
that's a category. It's a commodity. You should you say, you know, I really feel like a pilsner. And of course, people will do that now. They'll say, you know, I want an IPA or, you, 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 know, you know, I want a Duval style or something like that. And I think we're going to see this with milk that uh, people will say, no, I want whether it's a raw milk or I want a Jersey milk or, you, you know, I want a West Coast milk. And I think there's room there if they could do it for people in the dairy industry to begin to make a differentiation. In other words, to say, yes, the milk is good, but actually this is a special cuvee, rather like wine. And you say, this is not just a Grand Cru, it's a Grand Cru Class A, or it's a Premier Grand Cru. And, you know, hopefully then you, you separate that out and you sell it at a higher margin. That's what the French are geniuses at with wine. Uh, and I think we should call And them. I think the same in butter as well. I think, you know, we, we're beginning to get, get again in Blast, you know, um, that we'd get to taste all the different butters. And there, there's a huge difference between the, the butter and it comes down to the milk at the end of the day. And we've probably already appreciated that with cheese in Ireland for a number of years because we know that the West Cork milk produces these wonderful semi-soft soft washed rind cheeses like Doris, Gabine, Malines. And, you know, whereas the sort of scraggy landscape of Sligo and Leitrim always produced great goat's cheese, you know, because the goats were on the, on the hills and the farmers were making goat's cheese. So you can see that regionality showing up in Irish cheese um, and in Irish butter, but not necessarily yet milk. Yeah, and I think with butter, people are very loyal to their particular brand of butter. Like there's a certain brand of butter that comes into this house that my husband wouldn't dream of ha having any other sort of butter. Like he's he's very loyal to that. And you have a great quote from Myrtle Allen in the, the book. And it says, the butter your sister is sending us is very good. I said to my neighbour one day, yes, he said, that field always made good butter. What a fantastic yeah. quote. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the single greatest aphorism about Irish food, and of course Myrtle wrote that in the first Ballymaloo cookbook decades ago. Uh, as with everything else, Myrtle was 40 years of her time ahead of her time. Um, but I think it's it's such a revealing quote, you know, because it's somebody who's fully in tune with nature and fully in tune with agriculture and fully in tune with the seasons. And they don't attribute the great butter to their own skills. They know that it's made somewhere else. You know, they know that there are, you have to look at all the participants in the dairy chain. And that means looking after the animals, looking after the grass, looking after the production. And that way you, you get that great butter, you know. Um, and it's, 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 uh, we are beginning to see this. I mean, we live quite near to Glenillen Farm, for example, in West Cork. And we've seen there how a tiny little dairy farm run by a dairy farmer and a dairy scientist. That's a great mixture. You put those two things together and we have seen Alan and Valerie go from, we would have bought their yogurt and butter the first day they ever went to the Friday market in the Bantry Boys Club, right? They probably made, I think, 15 quid. And today you go up to Glen Ellen Farm, just outside League. there's probably 50 people at work there making an enormous variety of dairy products. It's quite extraordinary what you can do with milk. This is, this is its beauty. It's a shape shifter. You can do all sorts of things with it so long as you have a good base ingredient. And I think certainly, certainly for us personally, we, we, we tasted the most incredible yogurt about 40 years ago on a boat trip up the Bosphorus. And if you follow Ahmed Didi's recipe for making his yogurt, it's kind of precise. It's a bit of work. 
but it will make a yogurt like you have never ever tasted in your life. It's extraordinary, and it's all technique yes. and good quality milk. It's down to you know how you have to keep stirring while it's boiling, and and then you have to when it's you you leave it in the oven in low oven overnight, and then you put it. You're not allowed to touch it, even though it's your, it looks you're dying to just get in there. But uh, you have to put it in the fridge then for six hours and let it set. And it, it's a brilliant, brilliant recipe. We we just love making it, and now now that's the way we, we. Though we've got great yogurt that we can buy in Ireland as well, so we're spoiled. Well, before we finish up, I must say it's not just recipes. It is about the history of milk as well as all the the recipes there. And then there are like stories about some of the farmers that have won at the the Dairy Quality Awards, and we have Limerick included there. Um, the O'Leary farmer, the O'Leary, the O'Leary family, the dairy farmers there in Leylands and Limerick are in it as well. So there's great stories, like family stories, lovely imagery to go with it as well. And you know, it's a it's the perfect size book as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, we, we, as I say, we were trying to give a sense of the whole picture of, of the whole culture of milk. Milk, we've been drinking milk in Ireland for 4,000 years. 4,000 years. Milk is in our language. Uh, Peter Ward from Country Choice and Nina once famously said, milk is in our blood. And in many ways, I think it is. Milk used to be, your dairy herd were your expression of, um, of, of, of your wealth. And the language around milk, you know, you could have, thin milk and thick milk. You could have milk that was thick but still flowing. So it was like we sort of say, oh, we've got all these names for rain. We actually in the past had all these names for milk. And we need to get back to this, to, to realizing, you know, it's not a commodity. It is something, as Alan Kelly from UCC says, Irish milk has a unique fingerprint. And that's what makes it really special. It's a great liquid and you can do amazing things with it. And I, I hope in the book, We've shown a few of the things that you can do with it because it is it is a magic liquid. Is I'm stealing that idea from the French sociologist Pierre Boissard, who wrote a book on the history of camembert 25 years ago, and he said, you know, milk, milk is a magical liquid. It it does things that no other liquid will do, and if you know how to do a few of those, happy cooking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've we've cooked every recipe in the book, and uh, we've enjoyed we've enjoyed putting it together, and uh, I hope people who use the book enjoy it as much as we did. And if people want to get their hands on it, where's the best place for them to go? Well, it's in it's in that the wonderful Mahoney's bookshop in Limerick. <laughs> I know that they have it. <laughs> uh, you can order. You can also order it online from our website guides.ie. Uh, but but it's, it's it's as they say in, Eason's, in all good bookshops in Eason's as well uh, online in Eason's and the book depository and uh, so there's lots of places. It's no excuse. Plenty of places to get it. And I do think that it would make a lovely gift i have an uncle-in-law who is um a farmer and very very hard person to buy for and i think it'll it'll be a lovely gift for him this christmas i hope he enjoys it guys thanks so much for for talking to me about the book it is a lovely book i've enjoyed going through it and like who knows now maybe in a year or two we'll be back again talking about a donkey milk book <laughs> well actually don't think so. <laughs> I don't think there's a big market there Sharon speaking as a publisher uh, but butter we, we, we want to do butter well we look we forward to, to that great to talk thank to you thank you very much stay safe and mind yourselves thank you thank you very much you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM
to the best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break I was talking to food writing royalty John and Sally McKenna about their latest book Milk which explores the story of Ireland's culinary treasure through recipes, history and culture. If you're just tuning in now you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am and the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Still to come tonight, the delicious kingdom's Colette O'Connor will share her suggestions about who we should follow on Instagram for food inspiration. Next, though, we're going to return to a Zoom call with monthly contributor Helen Cook from ThisWindingLife.org, who's going to talk to us about morning rituals. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Helen, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. Last month, whenever you were with us, we were talking about sleep. And now this evening, we're going to talk about something that inevitably follows sleeping, and that's getting up in the morning. Hi Sharon, yeah, thanks for having me on again. As you rightly said, we last month we had a chat about sleep and this month we'll talk about the mornings. So, um, I don't know about yourself, but for me, I find that if I start off well and get myself off to a good start in the morning, the rest of the day will inevitably be that much calmer and easier and smoother. And if you're rushing, I think we all know that and running in the morning and not having a good breakfast and out the door or staying indoors as we are at the moment, then I think, you know, you end up being a bit frazzled and the day kind of all goes awry on you, you know. I think that's the general feeling. So uh, for myself, something that I'm going to concentrate on over the next couple of months is just getting that kind of morning routine kind of down. And that's routine now has changed because when I myself am working from home so like so many other people so we're not we don't actually have a, a massive deadline to be in our cars or to be on public transport I still have a deadline that I need to be at my desk at 9am so I worked on a little routine to kind of get myself up and going in the morning and what I'm starting with now is it's just getting out getting some fresh air in the morning so the very first thing that I'm doing is just walking the dog. So it's, I'm finding that the dog is a great incentive to get up and get out, especially on these cold mornings. Tell us a bit about your dog, because your dog is a recent acquisition. The dog is a very recent acquisition, yeah. So his name is Pippin, and he is a rescue dog. Uh, well, he was in a foster situation, but he was in a very loving foster home, which is great. Uh, but they just had two other dogs, so they couldn't keep them and long-term. So I took him at the end of August, and he's been with us ever since. And life has changed immensely. <laughs> Obviously, listeners can't see you. I can see you because we're on Zoom, and your face lights <laughs> up. It breaks into a smile whenever you talk about Pippin. So did you decide to get a dog because of the lockdown or was it something that you'd always wanted to do but it seemed like a, a, a like the ideal time to get him because you were at home more? Exactly, yeah. So I'm a huge, huge, huge dog lover. Anybody who knows me. And we, we had dogs at home um, and I always wanted a dog. But 
living in Dublin city centre in an apartment with an extremely busy job, it just never felt like the right time. And because I do love dogs so much, I never wanted to get a dog and just leave him locked up at home all day on his own, you know, in a small apartment. So with the year that we've had, I thought, look, let's just go for it. I'm going to be at home for the foreseeable future and I could get him into a good routine and get him like used to me and used to where we live and then if I do go back to work my plan would be to get a dog walker to come you know and take him out in the middle of the day but I just felt it was the right time and like all these things my partner said to me even actually just this morning he's like I don't think we chose him he chose us so when the lockdown lifted, the first lockdown lifted in July, I, I went to visit my friend um, down the country and she had him in the foster situation and he just jumped out of the car and came running up to me when we met up to go for a walk. And I was like, who is this little character? And she was like, this is the dog we've been fostering. And she goes, you don't want him, do you? And I was like, I do want him. <laughs> I love him. So um, he's changed my mornings completely and he's changed our life completely because I'm outside walking him so much and I know it's not a reason to get a dog but I think the health implications I'm finding of having a dog are just massive you know mental health wise um, it is true like having having a little pet having some other creature to take care of or having that kind of love in your life is just so powerful and also just you know, in terms of exercise, a dog is fantastic. So I'm up, hail, rain or shine, like these winter mornings, I would never even put my nose outside the door, but I'm up now every morning at seven, sometimes even earlier, 6.30, and I'm out the door with him. And we try and do a half an hour, 40 minutes in the morning. And it's brilliant because it just clears all those cobwebs and gets you moving, you know, and then the next steps then can kind of follow. So when I come home from walking him, I roll out the yoga mat and I do about 20 minutes, half an hour of yoga every morning. And if you're new to yoga or, you know, maybe you can't afford classes at the moment, there is so many free classes online and on YouTube um, just for every style, For if you're a beginner, advanced. Um, lots of yoga teachers as well are doing free classes and doing lots of stuff so there's plenty there so much um once I've my yoga done then I try to meditate for about 10 minutes and I use the headspace app I don't know if you've heard of that um there's other, another one called calm as well and again plenty of free resources online I'm quite new to meditation Sharon so I can't just sit there in silence I I, I like to use the guided meditations that these apps provide um so they kind of help you through the process and help you count your, count your breath and take you through. And I just find that really great way to start the day. Um, and then once I've those little bits done, I do some dry brushing. So that's kind of a new thing that I've started. So I've got a, a dry brush, a bristled brush. And what you do is you sweep the brush up the leg, up the arm, and you always make small kind of motion towards the heart so you brush upwards towards your heart and what that does is it helps to move the lymph in your body the lymphatic system so it helps with circulation and then it also helps with your skin 
especially in the winter as well. You know, it's just great for exfoliating dry skin. And I just find it gives you a little bit of a zing, like a little bit of, it, it does energize you as well. So if you can be a bit sluggish in the morning, like I can, all of these things kind of help me wake up. I'm a very deep sleeper. So it does take me that little bit of a while to kind of get going. You know what I mean? To kind of get, get the engine going. So getting the fresh air, a little bit of gentle yoga, bit of dry brushing, hop in the shower, and then I'm ready for the day. And whilst I'm pottering around then, I like to do a hot lemon and water. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of like the benefits of, of hot lemon and water. Like the, if you were to believe them all, it's like the miracle cure. <laughs> like it'll help you lose weight and it'll help your digestion and it'll help your skin. A lot of that is anecdotal. But what I just find is it's, it's a lovely warm drink to have first thing without maybe rushing for the caffeine you know, the minute you get up and then I feel you're kind of in that caffeine cycle for the morning. I think just for me, having the lemon water, it just, it's warm, especially this time of the year, it's warm, you know, it's kind of comforting. And look, if I get nice glowy skin from it, all the better. And it's got good vitamin C as well. So it it does have some benefits. Um, So that's my little ritual. Walk the dog, yoga, meditation, little bit of dry brushing, hop in the shower and my hot lemon and water. And that's what I think is a good routine to kind of get into. And also in lockdown, I think it's important to find your own time in the house in the day. So my partner is is a night owl. He likes to stay up late, watches his movies, watches documentaries. And I find that this time in the morning for me, like I'm here in the apartment on my own with the dog and it's just a little bit of time for myself. I know it's not possible for everyone, like if you have kids, kids are trying to get to school, but if you can find even five or ten minutes in the day, in the morning I should say, to get, you know, for your own little time, I think it's very beneficial. And if you want then we can we can talk a little bit about breakfast food. That was going to be my next question after all of that. You must be up absolutely starving and dying for a for a nice bit of breakfast at least I would be <laughs> well I am yeah and I love my breakfast do you do you like your breakfast I'm, I think breakfast is the nicest meal of the day not necessarily at home but certainly when you're you're away from home if you're lucky enough to be staying in a hotel or especially dare I mention the US of A I think there's nothing like a lovely breakfast out in a, in a nice dining or if you're over in in the states mm, oh i agree i think breakfast to me is the meal of kings i love breakfast i couldn't do without breakfast um but interestingly enough i i don't drink milk um i'm not lactose intolerant it, it's a thing it's a leftover childhood food phobia i just i'm not a milk drinker and i so that kind of eliminates uh, all of a lot of the traditional breakfasts, like cereal and porridge and things like that, I I don't like personally. Um, and I know there's a huge range of even fantastic Irish products out there now in that category. But for me, then I just like to do quite simple, like toast variations of toast. Sharon is kind of where I'm at in the morning, especially this time of the year. So um, eggs and toast and 
uh, scrambled egg, poached egg, boiled egg, anything like that. Or if I'm kind of going, I like to experiment a little bit with plant-based eating as well. And, you know, I do that now and again. So if I'm not having eggs, I just do fry up on the pan. Uh, no oil, no butter, just a really good non-stick pan. And I do like mushrooms, maybe courgette, uh, tomato, spinach. And I put a little bit of um, tamari, which is gluten-free soy sauce, on it for flavor and let the whole lot just cook down and then just put that on two slices of toast and gorgeous. And I have to say, when we're talking about toast, my favorite butter is a Limerick butter, which would be Glenstall uh, Abbey. I just, I can get it here in Dublin and I think it isn't a nicer butter in Ireland. Wow. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. And another nice thing to do this time of the year is Jude apple, which Again, because I'm not a, a cereal type person or a porridge person, but I sometimes chew up some apples early in the week and just put them into like a big Tupperware. And then I heat up like small portions of them. And they can be really nice in the morning or even out to put in some blackberries, you know, like or blueberries, chewed apple. And I might just toast off some porridge oats and nuts and seeds and sprinkle that on top. And especially for autumn, I just think that a really really nice breakfast and I was very lucky that my dad has four or five apple trees and the apple harvest this year was fantastic absolutely fantastic so his trees were coming down with apples so I took a great big bag of them up with me to Dublin after uh, he got them all harvested and I've been working my way through those and just chewing them and they're amazing really really nice and you don't need to add a lot of sugar or anything now tell me, you were saying there you don't like you don't like milk. Does that mean you don't like yogurt as well? A little bit, but not much. The apples would be lovely with the yogurt. Yeah, the odd time I would use a little bit of Greek yogurt. Um, but I found that after a lifetime of not having milk, yogurt, I think you kind of lose. I'm not lactose intolerant, but you do you do lose a little bit of that ability to process milky dairy type products. I do find that yogurt can be a bit, you know, not agree with me that well. But yeah, I do love a little bit of, of Greek yogurt. And I mean, if, if I'm in a hurry, um, I mean, I just love like peanut peanut butter on toast, sliced banana. And I think it's, it's such a filling breakfast um, and quite a healthy breakfast as well because you're, you know, you're getting a lot there you're getting like your healthy fat you know from your peanut butter um your banana obviously like nice wholemeal bread um a peanut butter that i love is actually one that i came across in the milk market in limerick uh, many moons ago um nutshed uh i think there are two girls from tipperary aren't they? they're from nina yes yeah. so they would be i believe they are peter ward country choice his family his daughters if i'm, cr- I'm yeah, correct yeah and it's funny that you say that because recently I've really got into apple slices with that peanut butter on top of it first thing in the morning because I have always found peanut butter very dry and very gritty but I find if you put it with apple they are the perfect combination. Yeah that's that's actually one of my favourite snacks as well Um, it's just a lovely crunchy apple with a little bit of peanut butter on on top now you do need to be if like me you're you're on a little bit of a weight loss journey you do need to be mindful of the peanut butter (laughs) um it's full of really good fat 
but fast nonetheless. Um, and you do need to keep an eye on it. So it, it, I suppose it's just a little goes a long way with peanut butter. But I have to say the nut shed honey roasted crunchy peanut butter is delicious. I got, off to those two girls. I got a jar of that a couple of days ago and it's nearly finished. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. It's hard to keep it going. And I would say as well, like, you know, on a slightly separate note with the peanut butter, I would be, of course, mindful that, you know, not everyone has uh, the luxury of being able to pick and choose with their food, you know, that you know, sometimes families do need to go for the cheaper option. But with the cheaper peanut butter, you know, they do have palm oil. And whereas that's not necessarily bad for your health, you know, the, the palm oil industry, if, if anyone wants to kind of do a bit of reading online, is devastating, you know, the rainforest and um, in particular the lovely orangutan, which is that lovely red-haired um, primate or monkey or whatever you want to call them. Um, and there's been some, you know, big ad campaigns and things around that. So personally, Sharon, I always try and choose a peanut butter that is 100% nuts. And then the oil that you see in those peanut butters is the natural oils from from the nuts themselves. And we don't have any added palm, you know, palm oil. And there's some gorgeous Irish peanut, you know, nut products out there as well at the moment. Um, another one I've experimented with, just my last one, is a chia pudding. And um, this is the recipe I got from the Happy Pear, which is you mix, for me, I mixed oat milk because, again, of my dairy, but you can use regular milk or almond milk or whatever you're using with chia seeds. And chia seeds are these little powerhouse seeds that loads of protein and loads of goodness in them. But they actually swell up when you put a liquid in them. And they come almost like frog spawn. Now, I'm probably not selling it, but they swell up and they kind of set into like a little pudding. Um, so the best thing to do would be soak them overnight in whatever milk you, you want to use. And they kind of double in size. So it turns into this kind of like pudding type texture, which you can top then with, you know, fruit or a little bit of granola. It's it's nice. I I did like it. But for this time of the year, I think it's nice to something warm, you know, to get kind of get you going in the morning. So that'd be more something for the summer months. So that's it, kind of, Sharon. That's really what I do. Um, I will be doing a blog post about this. Um, on thiswinelife.org um, this month and I'll be listing up some of my favourite products as well some Irish food products for breakfast so if anyone wants like to have a look at that where they can find it Fantastic, we'll look, we look forward to reading that whenever it's up there thanks so much for telling us yeah. all about that today you're going to be back next month with a very important theme and that's eating intuitively because I think in December, especially when those tins of biscuits and sweets and everything land, we can be quite random just going at them and the intuition goes straight out the door. So it'll be great to talk to you about that and to get your advice and your tips on that. In the meantime, as I say, thanks a million for talking to us this evening, Helen, and be sure to give Pippin a good cuddle there from us oh I will thanks Sharon thanks so much talk to you next month you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM welcome back to the best
best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, Helen Cook from This Winding Life shared her morning rituals, which includes walking with Pippin, yoga, meditation and a warming cup of hot water with lemon. Sounds good to me. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. So our final guest this evening is our regular contributor, Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom, who has suggestions about who we should follow on Instagram for food inspiration. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Colette, you're very welcome to the programme this evening. How are things in the kingdom at the moment? Thank you for having me, Sharon. Good evening. Um, things are, I suppose, if they are as, as, as they can be, you know, it's it's definitely different. There is no doubt about that. Um, but I suppose it's very much a case of making the best of what's available to us at the moment. I think a lot of people are spending more and more time on social media and, you know, I suppose looking at YouTube and trying to, Kind of fill the time with some bit of positivity and you know normally you would see christmas items in shops right now you'd see a little bit of um festive festivities building i suppose plans for christmas parties and all that sort of thing that's obviously not happening this year but there's still a lot happening online so i thought it would be nice this evening to kind of take a look at some of my favorite social media accounts to follow in terms of food and they're all on instagram so one-stop shop and just for that kind of feel-good factor, and I suppose, you know, whatever shape it forms this year, there will, there will still be Christmas, and there will still be Christmas food. So we know that, and um, that's what I'm going to talk about this evening. When it comes to social media and food and drink and travel, Instagram is definitely the place to go because it is all about beautiful images and, in particular, mouth-watering images they do nothing more than put a smile on your face and maybe motivate you to go into the kitchen. So who do you follow on Instagram that you would recommend listeners to, to have a look at? Okay, so I suppose I'm going to start with, I'm going to start in Kerry, of course. And um, for, for me, I suppose I've been following the lady for a couple of years. She's down in the south of the county um, in Kenmare, just beyond Killarney. And her name is Karen Coakley. Now, a lot of your listeners will already be familiar with her as the Kenmare foodie. Now, Karen, I've followed on and off for years in terms of, you know, checking in the stories. But recently, I find I'm looking at them a lot more. She's doing these WhatsApp cooking groups. But the, whenever she does do a bit of the cooking in her stories, it's all this real sort of hearty, slow food and very comforting kind of stuff. And she has mentioned Christmas once or twice in the last couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm intrigued now because last year she, she was doing all these lovely sort of um, sausage meat stuffings and, and things like that. And in fairness as well with her with her cooking, on the Instagram stories, you know, it's very easy to follow and it's it's relatable. It's not, it, you don't look at that and think, oh, sure, I could never make that. You can, you could make her food. And um, some people will be familiar with her from the RT Today show. She presents a slot there now and again. And uh, yeah, a, a great woman down in the south of the county and lovely, easy going, positive content. Lots of nice scenery too of Kenmare and, and Kerry. So well worth a look. So 
if you are looking for her on Instagram, she is just Ken Mayer Foodie. Well worth a follow. I would follow Karen and she is the mother of four boys. So a very busy household there, a couple of dogs, cats, a lot going on. But as you say, fantastic, easy to make food that people can follow. And she is always very well organized for Christmas, making things in advance and popping them in the freezer. So absolutely a great one to follow at this time of year. Yeah, actually, speaking of the dogs, I must just say one last thing about her. She got a puppy recently, and I'm nearly as hooked on the puppy as I am on the food. He's beautiful. I think he's a Burmese mountain dog. Gorgeous, gorgeous dog altogether. But uh, I suppose going on into a more national, nationally recognisable name, and he's currently on RT1 during the week, Rory O'Connell. So loads of people will be familiar with Rory, but I suppose on Instagram, he's relatively new to it, I think. But his food, now, it is just... I suppose it's he's a lovely way of speaking on television. I know lots of I mean uh, people like to tune in on a on the evening, make sure they're sitting down with their cup of tea for eight thirty to, to watch his show because it is absolute escapism for half an hour. Now his Instagram is, is gaining quite a few I think it's up to ten thousand followers now. But coming up to Christmas, I think every year he and his sister Doreen Allen they have been doing a Christmas cookery show. So it's very very wholesome, very traditional, very much in the theme of the Belly Malou ethos but absolutely beautiful. And I think he's a new book, The Joy of Food, out as well. So well worth the look. Very, again, and even though his food is a little bit more, I suppose, complex, some of it, it's still well worth watching. And it's complete escapism. And uh, yeah, lo- lo- lovely guy to watch. He has a beautiful lilt to his voice. It's very calming and soothing. Absolutely, yeah. You know, he does. And actually, it, you could nearly watch him for that alone. You could, nearly try, you could just listen to what he's saying and you could kind of almost taste the food, the way he delivers it. It's lovely. And uh, yeah, all about the food, all about the seasonality of cooking. And, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can sense you're in the hands of a master when he's actually talking about the food and the recipes. So we're going to go over to County Clare next to Ennis Diamond to a lady called Sinead Garvey, who runs the Cheese Press in Ennis Diamond. Now, the Cheese Press is a gorgeous little artisan cafe which up to COVID times you could go in and sit down and have a beautiful organic coffee gorgeous so she has the accolade of having the best cheese toast in Ireland um also wonderful cheeses they're wonderful cured meats and everything so since um the lockdowns and COVID and everything she sort of changed her business a bit now so you can actually you can order gourmet sandwiches for takeaway you can order lovely sourdough you can order lovely coffees to take away and she's still she's doing very well with this but she's lovely scenery of course and it's dining in as well is very close to the Burn region in Clare and you have all that wonderful scenery and definitely there's an influence of the surroundings in the product there. And Sinead is very easy going, she's very down to earth, lovely way about her, great old crack on Instagram and mad for Christmas. Lovely stuff last year up around Christmas online and uh, well worth a look. Would I be correct in saying that she is a sister of Siobhan who has St. Tola goat's cheese? Yes, you would. That's right. She is with their sisters and uh, I should Roshan Garvey as well, who is a, um, a Green Party senator as well. So they're very well connected family, big foodie family. And uh, yeah, definitely worth a follow. You can follow her on Instagram, simply Cheese Press Ennis Diamond. And I do like Ennis Diamond as a, a small town. It's a very nice town to, to drive through and stop off and get the coffee from Sinead and the, the toasty, as you say, when we can travel again. Absolutely, you can go out there and you can do a lovely drive around Loop Head and up around the Burn there. There's gorgeous places to see and, you know, lovely. And there's the oldest pub in Ireland, I believe. Um, 
Vaughan's there, which is gorgeous there. Beautiful, beautiful pub, just beyond it a small bit. Yeah, lovely part of the country. Fantastic. Moving on now, we are going to, actually, this is a bit of a, a, a kind of a curveball because it's not necessarily a foodie account, it's more of an interiors account. So it's a lady called Sarah Battles and her account is housed by the White Thorns, but Sarah is a home economics teacher. Now she, speaking of, of having a family, she has five very small children. Um, I think the eldest is only about five or six. And she has recently had twins, but she has been doing these weekly sweet treats, which I think kept a lot of us going during lockdown. And uh, because she's a home economics teacher, there's a real, you know, you can actually, she saves other recipes to her highlights. So you can really follow a recipe and she's made some beautiful cakes and beautiful treats. And last year she was on the cover of one of the, the, the leading interior magazines here in Ireland uh, for her Christmas decorating. The house is amazing. Now she also featured on Home of the Year as well. But it's really the food that I've been following her for. And I just think her recipes are just to die for. Like she made a chicken and mixed vegetable pie during the week. And it just looked like something. I mean, it sounds so simple, but the way she made it. And I suppose for novice cooks as well, going back to the fact that she's a teacher, you know, it is easy to follow her. And you can, and she's very engaging as well. She'll, she'll interact with you. Um, so definitely worth a look. And the added bonus then, of course, too, is looking at the beautiful interiors that she, she's, she's often showing off. For Halloween, she had wonderful, simple ideas for children for baking. And, you know, a lot of us that like to think, you know, we're great at the old baking with the children and spend loads of time doing it. But more often than not, we'll go and we'll buy these packet of cupcake mixes in the supermarket and throw it together. You know, she kind of made it, showed how simple it was to do these things. And, you know, it was, it was well worth, a, you know, a, a try, I suppose. But, yeah, she kind of instills a bit of confidence. And like I say, lovely, easy to follow, easy to to listen to her. She's a lovely voice when she's teaching and uh, definitely worth a follow. So it's House by the White Thorns and the lady's name is Sarah Battle. Fantastic. And have you one more for us before we finish I up? I do. I'm going back home to Kerry again, only over the road to Lizelton to Orla Walsh who runs um, Orla's Country Kitchen. Now Orla, um, I've known for years and she would be a great stalwart of the local food markets here in Kerry. You know, she'd be in store food for over the years. Um, all the Christmas markets, she's usually booked up one advance for every weekend in December. And of course, that's not going to happen this year. So if you wanted to sample some of Orla's goods, she um, she's doing some wonderful treat boxes, which can be delivered. Afternoon tea boxes, Christmas cakes. Her Christmas puddinis are just like a kind of a, uh, almost like a product all on their own. These little sort of Christmas pudding bombs. And uh, she is already gearing up for Christmas. She's already taking bookings. I, I believe she hasn't got a huge amount of availability left. But definitely, definitely worth getting in touch with. Now she's on Facebook, she's on Instagram, Orla's Country Kitchen, and um, loads of different products, loads of Christmas products, all sweet treats now, really, you know, nice things here. Um, her Rocky Road, her her coffee cakes, the Christmas puddings, the Christmas cakes, and it's just the presentation as well, I suppose, with Orla, and she's very down to earth, and she's a huge community woman as well, big into kind of supporting local, and there's a network of a couple of producers in the Valley Bunyan and Lizelton area and Orla's very much a driving force behind that as well. Fantastic. Another great one to follow. Well, look, that's something for us to do of an evening now. They're, the evenings are dark and cold, so we're not going anywhere. So to get some inspiration for our menu plans during the week and certainly coming up to Christmas, the Instagram is a great source. Thanks so much for sharing all of that with us, Colette. Stay safe now and mind yourself. You too. Thank you, Sharon. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. And that brings us to.
to the end of the programme this evening. But before we go, I need to ask you for your help. Clet and I would like to do a piece before Christmas about food banks in the Limerick and Kerry regions. So if you are aware of a food bank that's maybe looking for food donations or you're involved with a food bank or if you'd like to put a call out to those in need to get in touch so that you can help them discreetly of course please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie we'd really appreciate it and I'm also very grateful to tonight's guests so many thanks to John and Sally McKenna, Helen Cook and Colette O'Connor from Delicious Kingdom. Until next week. Bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit.